0: welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Azban, here with my friend in Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our DAF today, Masechet Yuma, DAF Haftal page 24. Our DAF gets into an interesting discussion about the four avodot, or sort of four services, that if a zar, meaning a non cohaine performs, they would be liable to the death penalty, right? Chayva, lav, mita. And there's a machlokas here between Rav and uh, Levi. Um, and where this gets relevant to us is that we're having this extensive discussion about Truman hadeshan, right? The separation of the ash that has to be done by a Kohen. And the question is, is Truman hadeshan part of those avodot? So Rev holds that there's four avodot, right? The zrika, the Haktara, the Nisukhamayim, the Nisukhayayim, right? So the throwing of the blood, the burning, uh, the libation of water and the libation of the Well, um, And he has particular reasons for why he does that. And so the Gemara tries to explore a little bit how does Levy get to that? And one of the things that they do on the page, which I'm always interested, I think, Anne, you and I talk about this a lot, is when it gets into or really talks about what methods were employed uh, to understand something. And so the pasuk that they're talking about here is where it talks about removing everything, right? L'chol davar hamizbeach, regarding every matter, everything of the of the altar, so this is a pasuk, um, right? They're they're doing a lot of exposition exposition on the word chal uh, davar, um, and they're trying to figure out what are the implications of having this word um, to have this word of basically of of davar of here. And again, the whole pasuk is bin davar ulimi ulimi. You, Aaron, and your sons, you should safeguard your priest your priesthood regarding every matter of the altar and within the curtain, and you shall serve. And this is a pasuk in Bamidbar chapter eighteen, verse seven. So, a lot of Levi's opinion um, has to do with how do you understand this verse of of lechol davar right? And so, the way that he, you know, so what they're going to say here is is that he says, right, when it says, right, it means any matter, right, literally any matter that has to do with the Mizbeach, and so that would also include the separation of the ash itself. And so now the Gemara wants to explore this a little bit more. So when the Pasuk has this phrase of right? every matter of the altar, this is a klal, right? It's a generalization, right? It means, Anything that applies to the Mizbeach, Aharon and his sons need to watch. Avodat Matana, right? But where it says in a different pasuk, Avodat Matana, right? A service of what we call, I guess some of the English sort of describes it as a service of application. I don't know. Did you have a better understanding of, of how to say that? So this is this is the pasuk of Avodat Matana attain Ekeun hazar right? I have given you the priesthood as a service that is a gift, okay? And a non-kohen who approaches, he shall die. Um, and so that is the continuation of that same pasuk there in Bamidbar. Um, so the question is, what is this? So even though it literally means gift, right? What they're trying to say is, is that, and this is Rav's opinion, is that it means only things that are application- um, so that's why, for Rav, it would be things that you put on the Mizbeach, right? The sprinkling of the blood, the Mayim, the Yayin, things like that, but Levi wants to say, because of this phrase of ha-mizbeach, it's anything that has to do with the Mizbeach itself, and that would include the separation of the Ash. So the question that Gemara is asking here is, you know, wait, we have one part of the Pasuk starts with a Kalal, a generalization. The next part has this Prat of avodat matana, right, which we sort of can the specification is, is that it seems to be an application, right? Something that you would give or put an avodat, that's something that you would put on the Mizpah. Klal uprat. when we have a generalization following and then followed by specification, elamasha specification, don't we always use for those rules of interpretation that the generalization, the meaning of that generalization, the meaning of the klal is only what was in the Prat, is only what was in the generalization. So it's really basically asking a question, right? So, right, so using that principle of Klau Prat, that the Prat has to basically explain the Klau, how is it that Levy can come up with this interpretation? Because we need to hold, Rev's interpretation makes more sense, right? That it needs to be avoda of matana, of application services. I'm not loving that English translation, but that's just what we'll use for now as opposed to avodat siwuk, right? Removal service, which is what would be, um, which would be the, what the Tremendation is, and that shouldn't carry the death penalty, right? And so how does the Gemara answer that? Amar right? Ulimi bayit la parochat la right? So it also had in there, right? And within the curtain, you shall serve, right? And since the phrase of avodat matana comes after, ulimi bayit la parochat, Right. It actually only defines the services that are performed. Right. Which actually would mean inside the Kaddish Kedoshim and not talking about the altar, the Mizbeach, which actually was in the courtyard. And so what the point here is the gemara saying is, is that according to Levi, the prat that Avodat Matana applies to is not the part, is not the first part that we talked about, El Mizbeach but rather it applies to la, par- la, la parochet. So el mi la parochet within the curtain, meaning the Kaddish Kedoshim, avodat matana. That is where a Kohen, right, is liable, a non-Kohen would be liable only for these, uh, you know, these services of application, below avodat Siwuk and not the one, right, not the service of removal. Habah but outside, meaning where the Mizbeach is in the courtyard, even a service of removal, a non-Kohen would be liable for death. Now the Gemara is going to go ahead and challenge this as well. Ihasi if this is so, Avudatam <inaudible> nami, right? There's a qualification here of, and you shall serve, right? that and that qualification was that you know that basically shows us that these avodas, these are the ones that carry the death penalty, right? That also therefore should also apply to any of those same services that are done in. The Kaddish Kedoshim, meaning the avodatem, the, 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 right? That you shall serve, that these are things only the Kohanim should do. There's no distinction made between place, between what was done me bai and what was done mi bachut. So el mi da right? Meaning this would, using this phrase, right? Then the within the curtain, within the Kaddish Kedoshim, hu the Right. That a Kohen would be a non coin a czar, would be liable for this death penalty with a concluding service and not for a service that has another service after it. But outside, right, that even a service where there's another service after it. OK, so that's where he should be liable for. But Levy is going to rule basically that in every circumstance, right, it's only the concluding service. And so what they're trying to say is B'abad, seems to imply that it should be any service. It doesn't make a difference if it's a concluding one or not a concluding one. But Levy is going to basically rule. One of the things of Levy's principle was is that it was only concluding services that have this death penalty. And that's why he included the Trumat hadeshen. So how does the Gemara now answer this? right, that you shall serve, right, by adding the, the, the uh, and, the right, to this phrase, it means it goes back to everything that was stated earlier, to the phrase of and therefore means it applies even to the services, uh, so the law that you would basically learn out of this, right, Um, is that it it replies to everything earlier, even to the things performed on the altar. And it has nothing to do with whether it's a concluding avodah or not a concluding avodah. Um, I think this is a great passage because it really shows us sort of really the detail that was used um, of paying attention to every single word, right? Using the word like va, that it's and, or how do things appear? Is there a generalization followed by a specification and then I think we understand a little bit deeper like why all of this machlokas actually exists. Because if you understand that halakha has to be learned by this careful, careful read of um, psukim, right? It's very understandable then why machlokas exists because different people are going to read these things differently and understand differently where the emphasis is supposed to be placed. Now, I know that we live in a, day, in a world today where there is so much you know, put out there about reading text carefully. But I don't think we do it, you know, I think we do it much more in terms of the stories that are in Tanakh today. But doing it carefully in terms of the halakha, and particularly in areas that, quite frankly, we're not keeping today, that's always what surprises me and is beautiful to see in the Gemara itself. So we are very good at reading text carefully, but seeing how they read text carefully and then deriving halakha from it is not really you know, sort of a muscle we flex today. Um, and But you can see that if the value is really, there's such value in the Torah Shabikhtab. If there's really a belief that nothing is there, purposeless, purple, purple, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Purp- purposelessly, right? Like everything is there with a reason, um, you know, then you can understand why it's read so carefully. And they're not going to leave any extra, even letter, just a chance. Everything
1: is going to have a meaning about something. So I do always find that to be beautiful, of course. I mean, I think, I think anybody who knows me could take that as a given. I have a question here because something seemed incongruous to me and I'm not sure if it's that I missed something in the learning of it or if it's truly incongruous um, or perhaps you have an explanation that you know will smooth it all out. So it seems to me, right, that the same thing for which the a non-Kohen would end up not being punished, right? Or whatever, not being chayav mita. if he were to do it in the Beit HaMikdash. But then there are these activities that he would do outside of the Beit HaMikdash that he is chayav mita, right? So it seemed to me that I don't know where I got this from, right? But that the things that the Kohen Hedyot would be chayav for, that the zar, that the non-Kohen would not be chayav for, you know, the activity done in the Beit HaMikdash, these specifications, it seemed to me that it's a kind of thing of like, well, the the Kohain head yot has to be warned not to do these things because they're not his job, and if he does it, he's violating. But if the if by hook or by crook azar meaning a non kohen ended up in that part of the Beit Hamikdash to begin with, you know he has lost his way, and therefore it seemed to me that you know we don't punish him with a death penalty if he does one of these activities, except for those specified you know activities that if he would do them outside of the Beit Hamikdash, but outside of the Beit Hamikdash. The greater concern seems to be to make sure that the non-Po'ehain is not doing things that are, you know, tantamount to being part of the avoda. And so there, the warning, so to speak, meaning the it's a warning the the threat of a death sentence is a big warning, right? It becomes much stronger, even though it still seems to me that the actual activity seems to be much more stringent inside of the Beit Hamikdash. But we're going to give him like some this leniency. Because he doesn't really belong there ever to begin with, and I, I, I as I say, I don't know if if I've taken this too far, or it just seems incongruous to me. Otherwise, like, what's, why would the kohen, why would the non-kohen get a more severe punishment out of the Beit Hamikdash than in the Beit Hamikdash, unless we're giving, you know, unless the the halacha specifically exempts him because, you know, it wasn't really a concern that he would be there.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I think also in terms of putting our pieces together about, like, what's the purpose of having this class of Kohanim? You know, I think it's also not a modern notion. Like, we, I think, have made, in a certain way, you know, religion or our life is very democratized. And this is really not democratized. There's only a certain group of people who are allowed to participate in the Avoda. And remember, this is before really formalized prayer or anything. Um, And, you know, for a modern religious person, it's this piece is also odd to it to odd to me like the harshness of it like someone who was so ex- but i but i think it's telling us something about the religious experience there's a lot of boundaries in it it's not about just worshiping any way that you want to worship
1: um that is for sure true we can make a list you know your data on our in our notebooks or whatever we're doing to keep track of the ongoing themes we can make a list of the things that pertain to the misbah that are that are not a free-for-all, where it's so strictly governed.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And, and I think that, you know, this is a, a great example of it. I mean, that wasn't the part I was focusing on. I was talking more about the Midrash Halakha, but just the notion that a czar would, would, would somebody who so much wanted to participate, um, that they would actually, it was punishable by death, I think really tells us something about the boundaries involved with religious worship and religious service.
1: Indeed, there's so many things that, like, but that sounds like such a good idea, except for that it's not because it's not one of the prescribed, you know, ideas. Um, I just want to jump now to, towards the end of the daf uh, where we return to the lottery. And there's a question that I found to be a very, you know, astute question by the Gemara Lama Misisin. The Gemara says as follows Why did they hold a the lottery? Well, we should all have the answer to that right and the Gemara indeed thinks that we should hello the reason we have a lottery is because as we've now discussed extensively right they were competitive and it was not good so they decided to equalize it by having a lottery hello remember Kidamaran. we've already said this ella so then they revised the question if you'll recall we saw, said that there were four different lotteries for different activities over the course of the day. So the Truman is in the morning and it's the first one. But well, what they would do is they would have this lottery for Truman addition, And then later on, they would, you know, come together again and they would come together again each time for the lottery. You could just do it once in the morning, right? And give everybody the jobs for the day, I, you know. And so I think that it is a really astute question because we understand what, why there would be a lottery at all. But once you have lotteries, why not, why not streamline the process? And the answer is fascinating. kol <speaking> Azara <in Hebrew> so that all of the Azara, all of the courtyard of the temple would feel, <speaking in Hebrew> that all of them would feel like the, the commotion, the busyness, the, the activity in this Azara, because there's a verse from Tilim, from Psalms 55. We took counsel together. We took sweet counsel together. Namtik. In the house of God, we walked with the crowds, we walked with the hordes, right? So the idea is that everybody is there and there's a hustle and there's a bustle. And if everything was streamlined and organized from the first thing in the morning, then everybody would just go to their jobs and there wouldn't be this, you know, gathering and regathering and regathering for another lottery. So the interest here in stirring up commotion to get the public excited, right, over the course of the day, right, for the uh, Avoda in the temple, it's just an interesting thing, you know, to, to think that this was, A, to think that it was a value in and of itself, to think that there is such a concern to fulfill the description as it is represented in Tehilim, right? And then, you know, how they go about making sure that this is done. You would think that if really the goal is a commotion, so have people crisscross the, the Azara every so often. Like that could be a task for people. But no, they're going to do it via the lotteries, which I suppose is certainly a way to keep the Kohanim, the interest of the Kohanim who want to be doing each respective thing.
0: Look, I think anything that anybody does every single day eventually becomes mundane. So maybe this was a ploy to sort of continuing to make the Avoda be exciting. Now, we know most Kohanim didn't actually do this every day. So that's also what's a little puzzling to me about it. You would think for your time of your Mishmar, when it was your turn to do the Avoda, you know, for a few weeks a year, you'd be pretty enthusiastic about it and it would just feel like a busy time when it was your time to be on. But, you know, I think there was sort of a certain kavod or excitement that they always wanted to give to the avoda of the Beit HaMikdash itself.
1: Okay. I like that. Yeah, that works. Okay, Especially when you think of the people coming only for a couple of weeks of the year. Exactly. So maybe it's like the
0: opposite. Like it's not about creating excitement because something gets boring, but it's like, these are your two weeks and we're going to keep it really exciting and really great the whole time for you. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.